Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Before we get to this week's episode, just wanted to let you know how much Roby and I appreciate you guys downloading the podcast this week. Hopefully, it provides a little bit of light and laughter in what has been a pretty terrible few days here in Richmond and around the country. Just want you to keep our restaurant friends and family in mind and do what makes sense uh, in terms of the most recent guidelines put forth by the government. A lot of people are hurting right now, and um, we just want to make sure that we all come out of this in one piece. So, of course, pretty much everything is canceled for the next few weeks. So if you hear us talking about an event as if it's still going on, odds are it is probably now canceled. If anyone needs to talk, please reach out to us via social media. And now for this week's episode with Brittany Anderson. Gosh, I got my first tattoo when I was 18, and uh, it's absolutely horrible. I got it in West Virginia um, <laughs> in a cinder block shack funny, when I was like 18. I, I didn't mean to laugh that loud. I this whole story. It looks like a like the Loch Ness monster or something. <laughs> Maybe we can put it on our social media and get some more likes and views. Oh. <laughs> it's like a Rorschach. That's what it looks. What like. do you what see? Do you see? Back. <laughs> um, Bad yeah, decisions. It's Monday, March 16th. Hi, new listeners who are probably at home today. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia, Virginia's premier food and beverage podcast. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. We have a pretty exciting show today. We have one of... I don't want to call her a rising star. She's already risen. She is one of Richmond's brightest stars on the culinary scene. Brittany Anderson will be our guest today. Um, I'm excited. She's so fun to talk to, and she has a lot going on. One of her favorite stories that I want you guys to listen for is the Cinderblock, West Virginia Cinderblock house story she tells during the podcast. She, let's just say it's a wild ride, even just hearing it. I can't only imagine living it. So for full disclosure, uh, to those of you listening right now, we are recording this Friday afternoon at about 3.30 p.m. The president is about to address the nation, and we think is going he is going to uh, declare a national state of emergency. So this is all happening as we, re- we are recording this podcast. So you're listening to this on Sunday night or Monday morning. We're not quite sure what's going to happen gonna in happen? between. So hopefully what we say today is relevant. We'll try to keep this as timeless as possible for you. Whew. I don't know what I think, Scott. I think that you should support your local restaurants, but I want people to do it safely and with good thoughts in mind. Like maybe have things dropped off in your trunk. Um, lots of drive-through action I'm hoping to see. Um, yeah, so the prevailing thought this week has been to not gather in large spaces with a large amounts of people. Right. Um, so we've seen some restaurants kind of innovate and offer pickup service or drop-off service. What have you been seeing uh, around Richmond in terms of that? So um, Perch, I just came out with a good one, which um, is great. They're doing a couple of dinners for two that you can pick up curbside or lanai side as it is because you know they have that cute little open lanai right there and those dinners look really nice one's fifty dollars the other one's a hundred comes with both come with a bottle of wine and a couple of sides Um, both come with moon pies which i have to tell you um sounds really delicious right now mrs b's the new juice place it's doing um delivery to your car 
um, natural flu shots. So like ginger and spicy things like na- nature's flu immunity sure, yeah, shots yeah, yeah. delivered to your vehicle. That, you I bet. Yeah. I hope. Um, right. so I think that is a really cool idea idea i mean it's not even an idea it's obviously to keep them in business and to make sure that people are staying away from each other but i love the natural flu delivery shot system i'm here for that what so again think? roby and i are not doctors no nor are we <laughs> emergency experts so again we are recording we this on know, friday we have no idea what's going to happen what we the only thing we, I, we is we just i know that in times like this, or I don't know, I've never been in a time like this. I assume in times like this, local small spots are hurt the most. Doesn't take much to hurt a no. local small spot. And no, so this and is a lot. So I just, I guess, right now we encourage from this very long table that we're far away from social distancing. I heard yep. social distancing. And was we a encourage thing. from. So our own social distancing that you guys support the local restaurants. Don't forget, here's another thing that I have noticed. Everybody's buying all the things at the Walmarts and the Targets, but Libby Market still has antibacterial as of this. Um, Lombardi Market still has antibacterial wipes and paper towels and toilet paper and all that stuff as of this podcast. So don't forget your local spots that you can buy uh, your... Large bags of rice. Before we get to Brittany, Roby, you had an exciting weekend this past weekend. I did. I went to the Charleston Food and Wine and ate all the things. Did you meet up with all the, the Virginia folks and break bread? I did. I saw Ames from AR's Hot Honey, and he has a new hot peanut butter. Stuff's fire, nice. man. So good. So he was there uh, on display or selling? Displaying or his wares, okay. yes. Tasting it and then selling it to the individuals in Charleston, which I think is an awesome representation representation of Richmond, especially peanuts, honey, yum, all Virginia things. And then Tuffy Stone with Cool Smoke was there. He did a collaboration with Sam Jones of Skylight Barbecue. is like a really well-known chopped barbecue guy um, out of North Carolina. They did some fun things. I had um, a barbecue, obviously, from them. And then this really excellent sausage ball that they did the last night. And then Matt Deaton, who we heard from right. last podcast. And food. Yes. Or food. Is it food foodie, or foodie? foodie? Foodie Joy Crump spot there in Fredericksburg. He had pastrami. Pastrami that would make your you weep. Was he at the bourbon event or was he making something with bourbon? Did he was the at the bourbon on the base event. Absolutely. Doing pastrami there. And then he did... a. Uh, Dope toast, as I've been calling it, an avocado toast, which really don't even think about the avocado toast. It was all about the smoked tomato on top of it, an actual sliced tomato that had been smoked. So a smoky tomato, if you're into those things, which I am, I ate all of them. What was the vibe like down there? The virus had obviously been making news at that point. Had it had Were people concerned down there? Was there much talk of it? People kind of just weren't worried about it yet. The second day, the, um, Alyssa, who is one of the marketing individuals for Charleston Food and Wine, sent out a notice acknowledging that it obviously is happening, that there had been some um, instances in South Carolina, but it didn't seem to harsh anybody's vibe at all. It's going to be one, probably one of the final events for a while. I mean, everything's being canceled right now in Virginia, at least. Yep. Where we were scheduled, you and I, you didn't know this, we're scheduled to attend the March 19th food and, food and um, Virginia food 
Expo, which is like where they debut all of the Virginia foods that are new and then show off the ones that we already have. But they've canceled it. So hopefully they'll reschedule it so we can go and talk about new Virginia foods because I don't know about you, I like Virginia food. Another food event that's being postponed due to the virus is Indie Chefs Week. That was an event that was brought to Richmond by Brittany Anderson. It was supposed to happen here the first week of April, but it's being pushed back to August. Brittany's about to tell us more about it. So you can hear all about the hanging, all about the chefing, all about the cinder blocking. Roby touching you at the event. Yes, I'll be touching you. Maybe you shouldn't touch at at this point. (laughs) This interview was recorded before the virus outbreak, so Ruby might not be touching you at the event. I promise I will not touch any chefs. (laughs) What is with this posture thing, Scott? Do I? Is it (laughs) off-putting? No, it's straight. It's very straight. That's what it's supposed to be. Yes. Now, do you know Brittany Anderson? I mean, I know of Brittany Anderson. Brittany with two T's and two N's. I looked that up this morning. Yeah, I love. Someone it. made fun of me because I googled your name just to get the correct spelling, and they're like, "It's Brittany. How are it going to be?" And I was like, "Well, it's you weird. never know." And then it's I saw it, and I was like, "Well, I would, def- I wouldn't have put two T's and two N's in there." I appreciate that, Scott. Yeah, my well, name gets spelled wrong all the time. I bet it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't care. How many people put an S at the end of Metzger? Oh, ladies of a certain age, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, the I mean, I hear it all the time. Metzgers, Brinners. Mm-hmm. We People went call to the it Metzgers. Metzgers Grill. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? Yeah, Metzgers Bar and Grill. We're going to get shirts made that say Metzgers Bar and Grill. Oh, that's your after hours bar. That's it. <laughs> you have to have a passcode. To we get had a that. Brenner shirt made that says it looks like a, like a, um, uh, like a painter's like company shirt, and on the back it says they don't do it like that in Italy because we had this guy <laughs> who used to come into the bar and he'd be like they don't do it like that in Italy. You're so like, we just you're not it. in Italy, right? We embraced <laughs> it. We made a shirt. <laughs> they don't what? So let's see: Metzger, Brenner Pass, chairlift, and some recent new news. Brittany Anderson is opening a spot in D.C. Yes, Lenny. Lenny. Um, yeah, I not heard that. Yeah, so when was that broken? Oh, wow. Two weeks ago. Okay. We were actually, I, this is my guess, and she can give me a wink <laughs> or not. We were actually we were supposed to record with Brittany um, on Friday. Yes. A couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I actually met with the NRG people that morning. Which I didn't know was happening. It was funny. And the news got broke the same day. So we would have had... We would have broke Kismet. news far later because obviously this is recorded and then Who knows when this podcast is coming out? It could be July. So I feel we like no we idea. had something to do with this Lenny thing. I mean, because we were supposed to record and it didn't happen. I and know. Then you got this great news. My grandpa. I know. Um, you actually had a death in the... F- no, no, not a death. No, 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 no. Gosh, I'm trying to... That's okay. He had a stroke, but he like... He's is he recovering? recovered and awesome. I had to take him to the doctor that day unexpectedly, so... That's why. But, but he's good. Yes. And the ladies from NRG who are here, Amber and Molly, are our PR team. And they are just, they're firecrackers. I love them. They're incredible. I know. I always say if I wasn't a chef, I would do PR and I want to be on their team. I'm like, will you hire I want, me? I guys? would like to be on their team. Yeah. I re- they're really warm. They're, par- they're neighborhood restaurant group. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, they're out of Northern Virginia. Yes. And then, and they own what's called The Roost. Is that where you're going? Yes. Okay. Um, and The Roost will be a, it's a food hall. I think there's 10 vendors. And um, to me, it's pretty exciting. It's like a, a really good opportunity to get into that market in a in a way that feels like com- comfortable for me. Like people always ask, like, why don't you have a hotel deal? Why don't you do this stuff? And I'm like, because I would die. Like, I am a person who really needs to be hands on and be in the space. And 
I can't sleep at night if I feel like I didn't like talk to the cook about the thing. Sure. So I think um, this Lenny being kind of small, all day cafe, breakfast, lunch, dinner, sort of on the same vibe of what I do at Metzger, um, felt comfortable for me and like like something that I could do well and give it a hundred percent, which is important to me. I don't want to just put my name on something and then not not feel like I can actually kill it. What is the name? come from Lenny Lenny's like one of the most popular girls name in names in Germany okay um and I just like it and it also kind of reminds me a little bit of like a diner or a deli like or Mel's mm-hmm. yeah Lenny's yeah. yeah I got you um and another S there no S Renner's but people are gonna do it so. Yep. <laughs> and so I'm a rude like what can I say <laughs> definitely it does fit. Yeah. I really think it. I think it's a cool name. I was thinking about how great it. And it. And actually, I love how you do your branding, you you guys specifically, because oh. they all feel like they go together, even though they're very separate from each other. So I think Lenny is a nice. Thanks. Per, like forward motion, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, and I think you know that's a bit about like my taste and what I like, and I think they all kind of. I, I made the logo for Lenny because I, I just make little mood boards whenever I'm doing, like, a new place. And I sent it to NRG. I was really nervous because they're, like, you know, they're a big deal. They're, they do great. They have huge places and lots of concepts. And I was like, here's my dumb mood board. Like, I hope <laughs> you like it. Uh, let me, they're like, yeah, PR team and design team and all this. And I've never had any of that before. What is a mood board real quick? Oh, it's just, like, I make, like, a little logo and I make, like, color palette and like um, photos of other restaurants or bars or things that are like okay. inspirational to the space. Maybe I'll pick some tiles, some plants, things like that. And then they put it together and that becomes the And look. I make like, yeah, I put it all together and like on like Photoshop situation and then I, I sent it to them and they ended up picking my logo. They put awesome. it next to all of theirs and it was voted on and my logo got picked. So I was like, you guys can hire me. What a natural. should be on yeah. this team. I don't <laughs> Like now you need to pay me for this logo because I just did your job. <laughs> That's what I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> so let's back up, because I know you're getting ready to say that. You want to know all She makes about fun of me, because I want to know. She knows She's everyone gonna... that we interview, and I'm, oh, right. I'm like meeting people for the first time. So <laughs> I want to know, like. all the background. I need to know sure. who is Brittany Anderson. So With I. two T's and two N's. Two T's and two N's. My mother, the story goes, is that the epidural kind of messed her up a little, and she spelled it wrong. Yeah. On the birth no certificate. Way. It wasn't supposed to be two T's and two N's. Was it supposed to be one T and one N? Two T's, one N. Ah, okay. Yeah. But I like it. I think it's good. <laughs> it's unique. It it's is. weird. You know, there's a jewelry designer in town, uh, Brittany Chanel. Spells it the same way. Sun and Celine? Sun and Celine, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she pronounces it Brittany. So, anyway. great stuff. I usually okay. wear her stuff, actually. I know. I wear her. She did my wedding. I'm, I'm, here, you're, here's, you're from... Oh, yeah. sorry. We're talking jewelry. Sorry. Okay, back to Continue. me. Continue. No. Sorry. Sorry. We got to talk about our Sun and Celine wears. Yeah. Local jewelers. We love Sun awesome. and Celine. That's a, a little plug for them. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Send us your jewelry, Sun and Celine. Um, <laughs> I think I'm meeting with her two Thursdays from now. Of course you are. Because why yeah. wouldn't Perfect. you be? Of course, yeah. Um, so you were born in town? Yeah, I'm from Richmond. Um, I grew up here and on the Northern Neck where my mother's side of the family is from. So Richmond and Warsaw, Virginia. And... Um, we, you know, my first restaurant jobs were out there on the river and like marina bars, and uh, and then I fin- I went to high school and finished here in Richmond. Um, and I, yeah, I always worked in restaurants in high school, and um, I kind of was a goner, you know, from the first time in there. It's just I I thought I was going to be a writer. I thought I was going to you know work in I don't know politics or media and something like that and I just never made it out of restaurants. Mm-hmm. What was it about the restaurant that they oh, drew you in and kept you there? At the time, you know, I think there's a little bit of like a 
it's kind of like a gung-ho kind of attitude, like DIY, a little piratey kind of thing that when you're when you're 15 and there's all these, you know, at the time it's all... Restrictions, right? Yeah, and then you go to the restaurant and you're treated like an adult. You get to do, you know, things that to me are a little bit performancey, right? Like waiting tables and being in the front of house is very much like a show and I was a ham and I still am and so I just really liked that. Um, so yeah, I was I was a bus girl and then I started serving and then I started bartending and then I asked to, if I could learn to cook and um, I had some great people who taught me along the way and then I went to culinary school. I moved to New York in 2008. I'm gonna pause it real quick. Yeah. Let's name drop a little bit. What were some of those first jobs and some of those initial people? Uh, How about with Beth Dixon? Yeah, so Beth and I waited tables <laughs> at... Oh, wait, we, we heard this story. Yeah, we waited tables at um, BW3. Yeah. I also used to... One of my first serving jobs was at TGI Fridays when I was 17. Broad and Glenside? Um, yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah, Broad and Glenside. Is the one with the flare? Did you have to wear flare? Oh, I loved... This is back to the performance hammy part of it. Yes. I was, like, into the flare. I wore my hair in crazy pigtails. I wore, like, the suspenders with all the buttons and the crazy socks. Oh, so Yeah, so I was great. into it. And, you know, when you're 17, it's just, like, spirit day or whatever. It's, it's just every day. Spirit day every day. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I was voted most spirited in high school, so I, I think can it see, I can see makes that. sense. In which high school are we representing well, this was here? A, this was in, uh, well, I went to five high schools. Oh, wow. So I moved around a lot. Did they kick you out? No. no, no, my, my mother uh, she was, most spirited. was I very see it. nomadic, so we just moved around a lot. But um, Gloucester High? This, I went to Gloucester for my junior year. Okay, cool. And I went to Tucker. I went to Lee Davis. I'm, I went a, Tucker, I'm a Tucker grad. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, when did you graduate? Before you. 95. No, oh, okay. Yeah. No, I don't. Okay, yeah, you did. <laughs> I love that you went, no, I okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, my husband graduated Hermitage in 95. Oh, cool. So, um, I was 2000. Y2K. I hear you. Yeah. We're lucky she got out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, where did I work? I worked, that Broad Street Glenside Corridor was good to me. Yeah. I worked at... The B-dubs, I worked at the Fridays, and I worked at Hooters. And I also, um, then I started working at Patina in the West End. Right. I worked at Graffiti Grill. Do you remember that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I worked there. It's over the Cuba Cuba Doses now? Is that the Yeah, it yeah. sure is. Yeah, I did you? not uh, do well at Graffiti Grill. I'm pretty sure I... Ooh, what's the story? Oh, I think I know Call No Should. I think I quit. Like, I, which is terrible bad behavior, but I was like 19 and a ding-dong. And I felt I still feel guilty about it. So whoever is the boss there, I'm sorry that I did that. Yeah, I wish I'd <laughs> showed up that day <laughs> and then quit. <laughs> yeah. Um, where else? Gosh, so many places like that. You know, just bopping around sure. when you're in your teens. And then when I started working at Patina is when oh I worked at Legend for oh. a while. Yeah. Um, me too. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did but you? Let me like a day. It's really. I'm not even gonna go <laughs> down that road. Ooh, because, story for another podcast. Well, I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a story about cleanliness. <laughs> when Ruby bites her tongue, you know it's a bad situation. It doesn't happen often. So that's, that's where I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I feel you. Thank you um, for feeling me. And then when I worked at Patina, I worked with uh, the chef was Brian Mumford, and uh, his sous chef was Randall Detzer. Yeah. Um, and so we met when we were like 18, both of us. And I might have been a little older than that, but we... I was a, I did front of house until they let me come back and like kind of learn to cook and I made those silly giant Caesar salads and 
you know. The stand-up straight ones. Yeah, right? you know what I'm talking of course, about. yeah. And it was like wrapped in that weird little squash thing. That, that Caesar cute. salad was special. I liked it. I liked it a lot, yeah. And they, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, Brian. Like the stand-up one. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> Brian um, was just really, I think at the time, like ahead of the curve and was doing really interesting things and fusion-y things. And this is like 2005, maybe. Um and so I, it was great to work for him. And then I, and he was tough. He was really tough. And he taught me kind of to get back up, keep going, don't give up. You got to cry, cry in the walk-in and move on. And um, I don't ascribe to the crying in the walk-in mm -hmm. part anymore, but it was a good learning experience for me, for sure. And then uh, I went to New York for culinary school. I took an apprenticeship right out of school to at Blue Hillstone Barns in Terrytown, New York. And... Um, I worked with livestock there, um, and I also worked in the kitchen a little too, and did half. It was like a half and half program, and it's a pretty. When you talk about Blue Hill at Stonebards, it's a pretty stellar. It's insane, like that thing. That, that I don't think a lot of people know that this about you. Like that is, I mean, I'd, I'd put it in the top five restaurants in our in the nation. It is. It is. I mean, like it's. Crazy right. how amazing that is. And it's how a really long special were you place. There? Um, like six months, six to nine months. I'm, okay. Yeah. It was like a special internship program. They don't do them anymore, actually. Now you have to live in Terrytown to work there. It's oh, very, wow. and at the time they were going through that change. And it wasn't often that you could do the farm internship as well as the kitchen internship, but somehow they let me. And um, well, we're glad they did. Yeah. For me, the kitchen part was great. I was just terrified most of the time. And, you know, <laughs> you just put your head down and chuck peas or, you know, 50 pounds of ramps. And people ask me all the time, like, do you remember this person that you that was there when you were there? Do you remember this person? I'm like, I don't remember anyone. Like, I didn't talk. I just literally was scared and I tried to do my best. And then I was so tired all the time because the farm there was the real learning experience for me because you know you've been I've been in kitchens none of that caliber b before but the farm is something that was really new to me and the work is hard and tiring and I would come home and just fall asleep like at like 8 p.m. like which isn't like me because it's just working your butt off and you're carrying lots of you know feed and running around through the woods and learning a lot about livestock and slaughtering and how it works. So for that, I'm super grateful. It's an incredible time for me and probably it changed my career and my, my direction with what I wanted to do. How so? Uh, I definitely put a focus on sustainability for me that I still have that I try really hard to stick with. Um, and I think the respect for the ingredient and the farmer and things like that, that I don't think I would know as much as I do now because I had to do it and do the work. Um, and then also just to see how a giant kitchen like that is run and to try to run our small kitchens half as good, you know, is the goal. But um, it was a really great learning experience. And from there, I went to work at Northern Spy Food Company, which was also super sustainable. Um, the owners are still friends of mine. They were, uh, Christoph was a chef at A16 in San Francisco. And then he came to New York and opened Northern Spy. Um, and like, if we ran out of kale, like I couldn't even go get it at Whole Foods. Like it was very serious about where we, where we procured everything. And it was super green market focused, um, super farm focused. And I learned a lot about sourcing and ordering from them. So when you're in the kitchen, when you're in the kitchens in Richmond and you're learning from the chefs locally, 
what is, goes into the decision to go to culinary school as opposed to just staying and learning from people that you're working with currently? What, what's that decision process like? Well, I think at the time in you know, 2006, 2007, Richmond, none of these restaurants were open yet. Um, you had a very kind of, I don't want to be derogatory, but just not, not a super uh, pushing dining scene. Um, Patina was pretty much, for me, maybe the most interesting thing happening at that time in Richmond. Um, Comfort was open at that time. I loved it. It was really cool. But again, that's technique-wise, that's more like classic and homey and Southern and was far from what I wanted to do at the time. I really knew I needed to learn, and I just didn't know. Looking back, there was definitely places that I could have found to learn more. But, you know, you're... But not necessarily here. That's a really good point she makes. It wasn't like you had someone doing like French basic cooking anywhere in Richmond. I mean, and you're not being derogatory. It just literally, like in the case of the word, not around. It was still like a lot of like steakhouse culture here. Sure. um, You know, grill guy, oven guy, roast guy. And and when I say guy, Mm -hmm. I mean it. Mm -hmm. Every cook I ever interacted with before 2000 and nine was a man there's was not a cook in any kitchen except for the one I grew up in with my mother that wasn't a man yeah no women cooks anywhere Mm -hmm. at this time I had not one and I often like used to be bummed that I didn't have like a mentor but now I don't feel that way so much because I get to be a mentor and I uh and I found them throughout my career and now for sure I have some but it was it I was alone uh and as a woman cook in this area at the time. Do you think that was part of your motivation to go somewhere else yeah. as you were hoping you'd see somebody yes. that was had the same drive you did? Mm-hmm. And and when I moved to New York, I mean, half the kitchen at Blue Hill, there were women all over the place and women all over the place at Northern Spy and people of color and things that um, I just, and not, there were, there's definitely people of color cooks who were men here in Richmond as well. But like in, in New York, it was much more diverse in the kitchens, which made me feel more comfortable. Sure. Made me feel more safe and made me feel like I could uh, push myself more and not, you know, I think there's a thing that women do or maybe and if everyone does where if we're not in a safe space where we feel like we can be our true selves, we're not going to be able to grow and like really shine because you're worried all the time mm-hmm. about, you know, what you can do. So that was, I think, for me, the opportunity to really, like, try hard and get out there. I love it. Yeah, so she comes back. And that's actually, you got back from New York kind of as Richmond was starting to flower. Yes. I came back in 2012, and I think 2010 was when, like, Magpie opened. I think that's when... Did Roosevelt open? And Roosevelt opened in twenty. I think twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So all of these things had opened while I was in New York, and when we um, would come back for, to visit our families, because my husband and I are both from here, um, we would eat at the actually the Roosevelt specifically. It was a really big turning point for me to be like, this could be picked up and set down in Brooklyn. Like I felt very um, inspired, and like Richmond could like we can do stuff here. Like people are eating it up. People are excited and they want to experience these dining, you know, opportunities. And at the time I was making a lot of Southern food in New York. Um, and then when we moved back here, I, my whole plan was like, yeah, just do Southern food. People love it in New York, you know? And then I came here and I was like, 
oh, that's what everybody's doing already. Shoot. Like, I was like, <laughs> dang I it. I got to make you something missed the boat different. On that one. Yeah, I was too <laughs> late to the party. Making southern food in the south. <laughs> I know. And I'm also, it's me. like, I don't want to compete with your grandma. Like, right. I'm sure her pimento cheese is better. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, my grandmother's <laughs> is, your grandmother's right, is, everybody. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. So, yeah, I came back in 2012. and um, Was that a hard decision for you to come back home? Not for me, because I knew there was more opportunity for me here. Like, in, in New York... I knew I was working like 70 hours a week and, you know, I was probably, I was making enough to live, but not enough to ever own my own place or, and I, and you know, there's a level of how do you meet the people with the money in order to open a place in New York? Cause you right. have to have big investors in New York to do that. And I was just kind of here. I could have taken an, another executive chef job and made more money and done all right. But again, the hours would have been insane. And I just... I was kind of done with the the lifestyle. My husband, though, he really did not want to come back. It was a big it was a big uh, decision for him. Um, and eventually, because, though, because I think you know he loves New York City. He was a bike messenger there, and uh, it was like real. I think he felt really connected to the city, maybe in a way that I didn't, because he was driving his bike on the streets sure. every day and really exploring. He was getting out and you were stuck in the kitchen. I was taking a train to the same part of the East Village every day and going home in the exact same two spots, you know, going to the same bar after work. And, and that's sad. I, I mean, obviously, I did explore and I ate around and I did lots of things, but when you're working that many hours, it's You're just hard. tired. Yeah. And then you're just on autopilot. Right. Sure. And I was young. I was still, you know, under 30. And I was like, I just think that there's there's more opportunity in Richmond. I think you can do stuff there for not a lot of money. And and that's true. And we did when we opened Metzger for very little money. So um, we moved back and I worked for a little while at Sausage Craft, which is where I met my current partner, Brad. And um, he owned Sausage Craft with Chris Matera. And I would go in and make sausage every morning in the freezing icebox and I also met Nathan Conway, my other business partner, that way, too. He One day I came in, and there's this little child with a blonde ponytail cutting up chickens in our butcher room. I was like, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? And we ended up talking about traveling and food for hours while we cut meat. And, I mean, within six months, I think, we had started making plans for Metzger. That's, it's how the sausage is made. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> that's that's, that's it how is. it is. So Metzger opened in Church Hill in... What year? 2014. 2014. Yeah. So you didn't waste any time. You got back, made some sausage, and then made a restaurant. We started. That's I the think way to we do it. First saw the, the trajectory space. of all good chefs. <laughs> you can't. I mean, gosh, I, I look back all the time, and I'm like, it takes two years, basically, from concept of a restaurant to running it. I mean, year and a half if you're, you know, good, or maybe a little less if you find a space that exists already. But we've built all of our restaurants from the ground up. So, sure. I mean, that kind of, it takes a while. So I'm always thinking ahead. I'm like, man, if you want to start thinking about what you're doing in two years, you have to start planning your concepts now, and it's kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, Metzger was 2014. We first saw the space, I think, in uh, end of 2012, like mid, mid-2012. And then um, they had to – it was a it was a hole. It was like a – I think it was just like brick walls. What was it before you guys moved in? It had been unoccupied since like the 90s, but it was a commissary kitchen for the church next door. Okay. So there was like a hood, but we ripped all that out. It was like a crappy old hood, and there was some equipment. They are like, do you want to use this? I was like, no. <laughs> but we ended up like buying everything used, and I cleaned it all, and we actually just got rid of our last piece from our opening, 
We had a low boy that I bought for $300 at auction, and it just died two months ago. So I made it almost six years. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's like a fair amount of time. I know. We had to buy a freshie, though. No, well, everybody, I, I need a freshie low boy. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you're thinking. So Metzger, open for a little bit. Did, it's doing really, really well. But, and yeah. then, I mean, okay, let's go. So you have this restaurant that seats... I'm going to roughly number your restaurant, 35 people. Yeah, about that, 40, 40-ish. And then, you know, a couple years later, I'm just going to set up shop in Scott's Edition with a restaurant that's six times the size <laughs> of the one that I have now. It's amazing what, like, it's so funny. We're like, this place is so small. It's only 1,400 square feet at Metzger. And... We never had an office. We didn't have enough dry storage. And so when we were planning the Scott's Edition place, Brenner Pass, I was like, we got to make it huge. I kind of regret it now. I think not the seating. I, our seating is fine. We seat 100 and I think it's like 103 without the patio and the PDR. But um, we, but the kitchen is massive. And I, I knew I wanted to have a really big kitchen. Maybe just for fun. I don't even, it wasn't thought out as well as I could have thought it out. Because now it's like, it takes a lot of people to run that kitchen because sure. it's so big and spread out. Whereas, you know, you have at Metzger, you can do, well, since we made the addition at Metzger, we're 66 seats now. And at Metzger, you know, the most cooks you can fit in there is three. And <laughs> the most that you can fit in there. And they'll bang and if you've and ever do like, like, yeah, if you've ever seen this kitchen, it's really. It's like the size of a bathroom. It's tiny. It's a really small, I mean, a small bathroom. I'm sorry, but it's yeah. really small. So they're like, you got to really know what you're doing. Yeah. So it's if, actually, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I was going to say, it's actually like, um, after having both kitchens, one massive and one tiny, I probably prefer a middle ground, um, but. <laughs> it's too hot or too cold. Right, a little right. Bit, yeah. uh, but each one has its benefits. And the thing about Metzger is it's very efficient. Because everything's right around you. You don't have to walk a long way. Like, gosh, it'll take me, it takes me longer sometimes to prep something at Brenner because I have to walk all the way to the other room to get the pot and to get the pan and the bowl. And then I go back and I'm like, oh, I got to go over here. And that's me being a ding dong too. But it, it's just a lot more walking, a little more spread out. So. so one of the questions I have with opening Metzger and then the second restaurant, Brenner, how often are, is Brittany Anderson in the kitchen making someone's dinner as opposed to Brittany Anderson's concept? I'm there a lot. Um, at Metzger, not as much anymore. I'm at Brenner mostly now. Mm -hmm. um, but in the beginning, the first two years, I worked, I cooked your food every single time. At, I worked at Brenner or at Metzger? At Metzger. Metzger. Every single day for two years, I was working either hot or expo or cold. Um, and I think that's the case. I don't know. I write all the menus. No one else. Well, we're getting to a point now where my CDCs, who are both really incredible, um, are starting to contribute to the menu more. Um, but I am probably a bit of a control freak on that stuff. And I like to, I write it all. Um, and at Brenner, I'm there. I'm at Brenner some weeks, not as much, so, you know, if I'm traveling or whatever. Um, but like this week, I'm there three nights on Expo, and then I'll go to Metzger on Sundays. I'm usually there either in the kitchen on Sunday nights or at brunch around. Right. Yeah. But, I, I mean, it's hit or miss. You know, like sometimes we have other things to do, and I've had to, like, really work hard on giving myself permission to not cook, to not be there. It, it, it's a, it, I feel very guilty a lot, but for my, I mean, I can't imagine if I had children, if I had, because I mean, my life are, are these restaurants, and if I had other things going on or other hobbies, like, I don't know how you would manage that. 
So I work really, I'm trying really hard these days to balance that part of my life out. Um, the gym is a big part of that. and Yeah, so the gym is one of the things you do to, to kind of find that work-life balance? Yeah, it's because I'm like a, I got to be somewhere. Let's, when she says the gym, yeah. though, I re- so I, my, I go to the gym as a treadmill, and then I, I'm a yoga person, but n- no, no, no. no, no, no. Brittany has got to take this to, like, <laughs> 11. So oh. when you say the gym, what do you mean? So... I uh, work out at a weightlifting gym um, called Richmond Balance. It's wonderful. My trainer is Hunter Rhodes. And we have a a group. I don't know if Beth talked to you guys about this too, but uh, we have a restaurant, a group of restaurant people who we do powerlifting. Um, Powerlifting. Yes. And not, I mean, and you compete. I have. um, I'd like to compete more. I definitely. Um, so you could lift Scott is what I'm what I'm going clearly. for. Yes, clearly. I'm like, I'm like 130 <laughs> pounds. <laughs> she just looked at you and went, "Oh, I could." <laughs> I'm like 120, 135 maybe on a bad day. Oh wow! I was like, "Good for you." Not quite. <laughs> it's not. No. Really? <laughs> but it's really for me. Um, it's I'm competitive. I'm a highly competitive person. So it's a nice way to be competitive with yourself, and not involve other people in your crap so and you know you can listen to loud angry music and just lift heavy things and it is it's been a game changer for my mental health it makes me feel so much better it gives me something to be proud of that isn't related to my work Mm -hmm. um because for me my self-worth was really based on work for a really long time and so now I feel more like a more balanced human and it's like 50 50 so 50-50, wow. I like that's that Richmond good. Balance so. made you a more yeah. balanced human. I, I feel like that's like that. a nice little um, commercial yeah. for them. So I, another thing I really love about you, and obviously this is dear to my heart, is I think that you have been one of the, maybe the forerunners in pushing diversity into the kitchens here in Richmond. I didn't see people that looked like me, and I'm super happy. I think both your CDCs are women. Uh, one's a man, one's a woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, do, and what... Why did you think that was important? Well, I mean, I know why, but I'd like to hear it in your own words. Sure. Well, I feel, and it's interesting, even like my my CDC, who's a guy, he feels the same way, is I think that we all feel like, I don't know, healthier and happier when we're in a diverse situation and we're learning from people who aren't like us. And I think it makes us more sensitive, more thoughtful. Everyone, I don't know, it makes us better as humans. And... I, I've always wanted to hire women and be a safe space for women. And because of, I mean, I, when I came up, I didn't have that, you know, I was getting slapped in the ass. I was getting, uh, pushed around. I was getting told that I wasn't capable of doing things. I mean, that's, I don't, I don't see that stuff happen as much anymore. I know it still does. I'm lucky that we got to create a place where we feel confident and good. And that doesn't happen. Um, I still struggle to create diverse kitchens. It's hard and challenging, especially in Richmond. I, I Being in D.C. lately, I've been seeing the amazing diversity in their kitchens and in the restaurant community there. And here, it's a little, we're a little behind. But all you can do is try, put it out there, take risks. Like, I will, I hire people that might not look classic on a resume, that might not get hired, you know, somewhere else. But I kind of believe that if you fit in and you feel good and you feel right, we can teach you to do the rest. So we try to do that. It's, I still struggle with it. Like, um, and turnover can be high. So we, you know, True. we go Layer through waves in, sure. of like when our kitchens look 
for me, like really awesome, super diverse and great. And then times where we lose people, things turn over, and I'm like, wait, what? Where are the women in this place? Like, so it's always a battle. You're always trying to to be out there and I think make people see that you are a person who is striving to do that. And we all make mistakes and we don't always do it right. But if you're open and honest about it sure. and you're like, I'm trying, I think people respect that. I do too. What, like going back through your head and your time coming up as a chef and a female, what are some of the things that you learned in a kitchen that you'd like to be able to tell someone who was trying to do what you're doing now? Well, I mean, even outside the kitchen, I guess, but I mean, you take, I take stuff to work with me. So, right. I mean, I think, uh, it, it, grit and toughness are really mental toughness are, are important. And, um, being a solution oriented person, not, not getting weighed down in when you make mistakes or when things aren't working right, because in a restaurant, things are never working right. Everything is going to be a mess. Everything's going to get, you know, uh, effed up and you're just, your goal isn't to drown in the reasons why that happened or it's let's get to the end. Like I often tell my cooks, I don't care about your journey. I care about the destination. Like I doesn't, I don't, you know, the way you cook this Pharaoh might be different than the way I cook this Pharaoh. And, but as long as at the end of it, the Pharaoh tastes the same and it didn't take you like 10 hours to do it, then like (laughs) I, you got a little secret, a little trick. Sure. Go for it. Mm -hmm. You know? So I think it's the same way as like realizing the little stuff, isn't that important. It's a big picture. Focus on the big picture and always be looking for the next thing. Be trying to grow. And I mean, when I was in school, I went to every demo. I went to every single thing I could. If it was free, I was there. If if there was a volunteer opportunity to like learn from another chef or like carry a chef's knife roll, I was like, hi, I'll do it. You know, you're still doing it. I try. Like I, I, you might be one of the, like you're out there just recently. You got back from an indie chef's. Oh yeah. Indie chef's week in uh, DC. We just did. Tell me about that. And then I think this will come out this podcast. Well, right before I I guess the tickets, I mean, I think tickets went on sale today, Mm -hmm. but like, I think that you're going to have Indie Chef here. Yes, we're hosting Indie Chef's Week here in Richmond. First, tell me what it is, because obviously a lot of people, I bet you Scott doesn't know. I'm joking, I'm joking. I was sitting right next to you. (laughs) I guess I made an impression. (laughs) Um, Indie Chef's Week is something that's really special to me, and I I remember seeing it happen when I... uh, Aaron Hoskins, who used to be a chef here, um, now he's in Columbia, South Carolina, but he was a part of one of the first Indie Chefs Week, and I remember looking at the photos and being like, I want to be there. Like, it's a group of uh, 24 chefs from all over the country, and everybody cooks a dish, and then we collaborate on a dish at the end. And I can't – it's hard for me to explain how much of an effect it's had on my life and career just to be surrounded by people who do the same thing that you do every day, who understand – I mean, getting to talk about the restaurant business side doesn't happen that much. So getting to share with other business owners and restaurant owners about how they run things, how they um, manage their their lives and their businesses is really, really important to me. Also, the friendships, the cooking, like knowledge and trade-offs that you get to learn, it's really special. Um, is it the same 24 chefs every 
No, it, no. it changes. Yeah, every, city is, every city is different. Every city is different. Obviously, I so ever since the, I asked Aaron if he would introduce me, I said, please, I want to do this so bad. And I got in. And ever since then, of course, I've, I'm a regular on the roster for these things because I really enjoy them. One, I also like um, – it's great to get to travel and go to these other communities, not only to meet 24 other chefs that are like you and doing cool things, but also to get to explore and learn from the communities that you're cooking in. Um, Richmond, we hosted one last year. We're hosting again this year. And I'm really excited about it this year specifically um, because I think the group is really cool. I have um, two of my three of, of people, people who have worked for me in the past or are working for me now um, on the roster, which is like, it's, cool. it's so cool and inspiring. And, um, you know, you never think that's going to happen. And I'm at a stage in my career where people who work for me have gone on to become really great cooks and chefs. And so I'm just, I kind of get to sit back and watch. It's cool. Like a proud, so like a proud parent. Yeah. Um, so Lane Myers from Notabene will be cooking. Carson Bledsoe, who's the CDC at Metzger. She's only 25 years old and she is a beast. She's worked for me for six years and I think she has a, a real point of view and a lot to say. Um, and then uh, Alex Bobadilla, who uh, worked for us at Brenner for uh, almost two years and he makes really incredible uh, Mexican food at Sincero, right. his pop-up. And I think he's a star. I think you'll be seeing a lot more of him. And uh, I, think, I think he's got a special perspective that a lot of people don't, um, don't necessarily have. So it'll be really cool for that reason. Um, and the other chefs, too, are coming from way different places and doing food that I don't think you can really get here. So you'll see a lot of that. And any chance that I get to cook with local guys, we don't, we don't get to hang out that often anymore as everybody like, has families and is working their butts off. So Bobo will be there from Alewife and Andrew from Long Oven, um, two guys I really love, and I think they're super talented, so I think it'll be really fun. The other cool thing is it's four days, and we don't have to cook every day. It's, it's kind of set up to be like a retreat for chefs, and I think part of the experience, and I mean, obviously, tickets are, they're not cheap, but that price goes to pay for a very special time for these people who work their butts off most of the time, you know, might not have health insurance, are making food every day, and um, we get a whole day off on Saturday to be together, talk about wellness, talk about how we're managing our lives, and, um, and then get to explore the city. So there's been talk of a rafting the James Do it. situation. Do it. I but know. be safe. We're, um, what are those? Thank you. Yes. Water I, want, I would like Water to have vest. all these chefs back in the kitchen yeah. <laughs> or at home with their families predominantly. But yeah. what did you think about it last it. year? I was overwhelmed, to be honest with you. It was just like every dish came out and a, a lot of wine pairings. There was a, a every did every dish have a wine pairing or every I wine? don't know about the wine stuff because like I'm just every dish had a wine pairing. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah. So lots of yeah, wine. It was a it was a. It was a <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the night, but I sort of were remember my feeling. Were you guys there on, a, on the Sunday collaboration night? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we were there. We the were there for the last night. Yes. I just remember next wanting to, to be, yep, right next to the Stephanie Gans, the legend Sweet herself. Steph. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we, we are far away from the action. I think if I just, we go this year, I'm going to be closer to the action because I want to like reach out and touch people mm. figuratively. You're here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, the layout at Brenner can be challenging because, uh, it's the you. It's hard to kind of connect with everybody. But the bar seats are the VIP seats, and obviously we're plating right there in front of you. And oh, I don't think I knew that. Mm-hmm. I, I, we got kind of lucky because Kate 
um, uh, Betty Clicker was yes. doing photos, like right behind us in the light. So I got to see a lot of the dishes really up close right. because you know she was right near us. So that yeah. was ni- that was nice. So. so sweet. So we didn't have to see it plated, but we did see it plated. Right. And it's interesting because Sunday is the collaboration day where you're paired with someone you've, you know, most of the time never cooked with before and you don't get to plan it and they assign you kind of a course and you figure it out that day. Wow. Yeah. So it's definitely recommend it for folks that want to try a wide variety of yeah, dishes awesome. they wouldn't normally order at a restaurant. And it's just all kinds of different don't eat the day flavors. The- no, it's a lot of food. We try to keep it small, but, you know, 12 courses. It's so. great. So when you think about it from a price wise and the fact that you guys are getting to spend some time with each other, it's a, I think it's a bargain. It it's is. It's wine pairings, 12 courses, 10,562 chefs. Yeah, right. <laughs> all of which are like super, Ruby will touch you. Yes. I, I will figuratively touch you. <laughs> I don't even know. worth the price of admission alone. I know it's not. <laughs> Actually, maybe a reason not to go. But the re- they're all right there and very accessible, which I think is... Yeah, you can interact and talk with them and everybody's going to come out and say hello and explain about what they do. And then when you go travel to their cities, you have a pal and you can, you know, go check out their places. Yeah. I want to talk about about the art on your arms. Oh. Okay, I believe that's called a tattoo, Scott. (laughs) Well, it is, (laughs) but but it's also art. I mean, some of it is not art, but... (laughs) I Some think I think here it's called a tattoo. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about the tattoos on your arms. Um, sure. Any particular stories you can share about, uh, about any of the pieces? Um, well, you know, gosh, I got my first tattoo when I was 18, and uh, it's absolutely horrible. It's like a tramp stamp. It's terrible. You have a... B- oh, girl, yes, I do. It oh. is... Uh, my sister has a crab right there, and every I time wish I mine was a crab. <laughs> what is yours? It, it's unrecognizable. It's just like a weird black. <laughs> and I got. We it have long. so many great tattooers in this town. Do you hear this? Brittany needs her. Oh, it's so bad. Tra- I'm, I can't even call it this. Brittany has a tattoo her, in her an lower area of lower, lower, lower back tattoo. tattoo that she could use made into something. Yes. Not. No, I, I feel like I've embraced yeah. the the terribleness of this tattoo. It's funny. You've embraced the blob. Yeah, oh, I got it in West Virginia um, <laughs> in a cinder block shack funny, when I was like eighteen. I, I didn't mean to laugh that loud. Heard this whole story. <laughs> and the guy had a uh, what's it called? The was it an actual tattoo parlor or just yes. a cinder block shack in yes, West Virginia? Similar to what strip clubs are in West Virginia. And cinder block like a, he had a boa constrictor that he like pulled out in the middle. He's like, let's take a break, which is hilarious because this is a tiny tattoo. I don't know why I needed a break. But You um, took a break to see a snake. Yeah, and he pulled a snake out of the trunk of his car and we all held it. And then and that wasn't a red flag at all for you. Okay. Look at the time. Look at the time. Get out of here. And then here, I went back the next day for more because I was like, this looks cool. Let's add to it. Maybe he's an antelope that he's going to get out of his back. So let's talk about life decisions. Yeah. Not, I'm not good at the All right, So, you know, we won't ask you to show off that one, but the, right. the ones that are visible at the moment. I don't moment. know. I kind of want to see the snake blob now. Oh, my gosh. It looks like a like the Loch Ness Monster or something. Maybe we can put it on our social media and get some more likes and views. Oh. <laughs> uh, what is it when they put something up and they ask you to make a meme or, like, a, a caption this? Yeah, That'll not. be hard. <laughs> caption this. It's like a Rorschach. That's what it looks <laughs> what like. Do what do you in see? What do you see? Um, yeah, but my, most of my tattoos are matching with other people. Like, um, okay. this is with my husband. We both have this one. Um, and we, we lost a bartender at Metzger who was a, a good friend. And this was his dog, and his name was Kurt Moon. So we got this for him. Um, this is with my CDC Mike at Brenner. We both got pork chops because that's what 
That's what keeps me going. Um, <laughs> I'm half pork chop, too. <laughs> Olivia and Kylie and I, we all have these shells. And Olivia and I have the crowns for because um, we're queens, you know. Sure. Um, what else? Um, Texas was after some margaritas in Houston with my friend Christine Rivera, who makes tacos in San Diego. Why not? <laughs> Chicken leg is with Mason and the whole Turkey and the Wolf crew when they were here. Um, Mason actually got uh, some graffiti from Bamboo tattooed on his leg that is the most insane thing I've ever seen, and I'll show it to you, but it's hilarious. wonder if he'll send us a picture of his Bamboo graffiti. Because I have a picture. I've got to tell you right now, that is like some seriously cool stuff. It is. I'll show you. And then Blood of the Kitchen. This is um, <laughs> in the first like Edo Fork cookbook. Yes. Um, We're both in it. Yeah. Okay, great. In that one, um, I think it's that one, Adam Hall from Cezanne, he says, you know, he's talking about the stock they make with trotters and everything. And he goes, you know, stock's the blood of the kitchen. <laughs> and then... And you just said it, just like he would, too. Yeah. Well, then Lee started talking about it at the Roosevelt. He'd be like, well, Adam, this is... That's a smart thing to say, man. He said, blood of the kitchen. Wow. <laughs> and now you can see so that. So now it's on your arm Yeah, he said, that's some best badass, blood of the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and so then on my birthday this year, I was like, I'm getting it. And I went, <laughs> Look here, Adam and Lee. I have it on my blood arm. Blood of the yeah. kitchen tattoo. The funniest thing is I sent it to... I sent it to Adam like right after I got it. And he was like, is that you? You did that? And I was like, yeah, I thought you'd be more excited. <laughs> But it's okay. Adam. Oh, what a good How about the other arm? Um, so this is my Metzger um, Sharon Schnitt. Like, uh, look at those muscles real quick. I was gonna I mean, look at those. She's I mean, flexing some for us, she too. Is, she, you, got, you really got this question in where she could be like, yes, look at my triceps. It was playing that way. But this is like a German paper cutting art that um, Jonathan Fleming drew for me and did this tattoo. I love this tattoo. Yeah. It's beautiful. I went to China. I went to, not China. I went to New York City on the Chinatown bus immediately after I got this and I like super ruined this tattoo and I had to get it done twice basically. I don't understand. That bus like, is awful. I didn't take good <laughs> care of it and okay. so it healed bad uh, okay. and I had to go back and get it fixed I up. I guess you got to saran wrap it with Vaseline. I mean I'm making this up. I don't know. Yeah. I thought no. you made it on you the do? bus. Yeah. Something, oh. something happened on the bus that messed up your tattoo. Well it was just dirty and I stayed up all night and then uh. I like I was in a hotel and I didn't like I just... I went to New York and I did not take care of the tattoo. <laughs> but Jonathan fixed it and now it's beautiful. And now everything's it, so. good. Yeah. You have any other questions, Roby? I was trying to think of anything else that I might like cajole her into answering. I will say this I just did a panel with Brittany and we talked about the usage of local ingredients here in Virginia. And we just talked to Lee, well, here, not here in Virginia, the Virginia local ingredients that you guys are using in a restaurant. Yeah. We just had Lee on the podcast and he maintained, and I believe him, that the stuff that you guys are doing is, it's not necessarily it's because it's local, it's just what you were taught. Oh, He's yeah. like, I love using local, but it wasn't a question when I grew up in the restaurant. Exactly. And you know what's a bummer? is like I don't write where things come from on my menu because, it, one, it's too wordy. I assume that people would think that that's what we do because that is what we do. And that's also why things cost what they cost. I, I It's very frustrating sometimes to hear people compare what I do to maybe what um, – what someone else does that's a more affordable restaurant. And it's like, well, we're using much more higher quality ingredients. 
And it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It means that they're priced accordingly for what we're selling. Right. Nobody's like making up prices and charging a million dollars just for fun. You know, it's it's specifically based on the quality of the ingredients that we get. And I agree with Lee that it's like there's really not another option. I mean, you're not buying a case of broccoli in July, I don't know, let's say asparagus, buying a case of asparagus <laughs> in, you know, January from California, putting it on your menu is if that's what you want to do, do it. But is there any joy in that? Is there any like progression or growth or learning or creativity involved in that? No. So in order to grow and be a better chef, you need to be with these farmers and using local ingredients. And cause that's where you're going to learn to cook different things. And you, you talked about that on the panel too, like, because some ingredients aren't familiar. Some farmers choose to do this. Some farmers choose to do that. You get to explore more mm -hmm. and know more about where you are. Um, we talked about, so I brought up the fact that a steak at Morton's, I'm just going to call out a one of our local chains, cost $56 for the steak. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, Roby, I charge far less and I lose money. Can mm -hmm. you tell me what that means? So... On my menu, for instance, there's certain things, there's like a, a threshold that I feel like people are willing to spend on certain things. Um, when people go to Morton's, I feel like they expect to spend $56 for a steak. Granted, you're probably also getting a salad with that and sides. No, maybe Just you're not. Just a steak. Yeah. Just the steak is 56 um, <laughs> And that might be the cheapest one on there. And I'm not, I don't know uh, all the techniques or how Morton's handles their steaks, but I know what we do, which is we sit on steaks for at least 30 days after we buy them. Our, we dry age every steak we sell, and all of our steaks and beef come from Seven Hills. It's all out of the state of Virginia. It's all local farm co-op. And um, I really, I love the beef. I love working with Seven Hills. And it's affordable. Like, to be honest with you, like, they do a good job at keeping it still pretty affordable for us to deal with. But, you know, there's value added in when we dry age steaks. And then, you know, to sell them 30 to 60 days after we've gotten them in, you, you know, you're going to mark up 30% is usually what food cost markup is. Sure. And if you think, let's see, if the steak costs me, usually the, the steak itself costs um, about $12 just for me. So if we want to mark that up three times not counting like anything else on it. Actually, I think if it's a ribeye, it's going to cost you 15 to $16 just for me. And then you mark that up three times. You also have, you know, we, we serve ours with a tartiflette with reblochon and expensive ingredients, expensive cheese, expensive sure. uh, bacon. Um, you know, you're looking at a $50 steak and that's what the highest quality ingredients. I'm sure Morton's is marking up far more and getting huge case cuts and price deals because they're buying massive, massive amounts sure. from not from Virginia farms. Mm -hmm. um, so they're making way more money than I ever am making on that steak. I'm just barely, I mark my steaks up almost just to like half, just so I, uh, instead of the full markup that I should, because I don't want it to be $60 steak, because I want people to buy it. Sure. I want to sell it. And sure. So I think it, you know, there's lots of things with it and ways you can figure things out. Obviously, like we sell little croquettes that we maybe can mark up a little more because they cost us less, but people are fine paying $8 for a croquette as opposed to four. It's a little bit about perception. It's a little bit about, you know, the ingredients. I hope people know that when they are buying a steak from me or getting something at Long Oven or Alewife, that those ingredients that we got are, 
are really quality, good ingredients. And that's why what you're paying for. That's the, the importance that I want to stress is I think that looking at that $50 steak at mm-hmm. Brenner Pass, I think that, that a lot of individuals don't understand the entire thought that has gone into it by you or maybe the, the steak at Alewife. I don't even know if there's a steak on the menu. Let's call it a skate steak. There you know, you like uh, There's so much intensive thought that has gone into the back of it. They're local farmers, the local ingredients, mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, your families, which are getting... I think that's where I think the disconnect is with the public. Yeah. You said you'd do a, a, a video with me, a beef video. Oh, yeah. Let's do a beef video. You know, talk about the cuts. What is a beef video? I would video? love that. And I think Hashtag beef video with Brittany. <laughs> it's going to go viral. <laughs> beef video. I mean, I, it's a bummer. I think a lot of times guests don't realize, especially when you read reviews that are negative or um, when people think that there's not real live human beings who are here working like your server, it cares about you, really wants you to be happy. And it's not just about money or a transaction. It's because they have pride in, in their job and they care about it. And that you walk in the kitchen and everybody making that food, they think about the guests that that food is going to and they taste it and they're making sure it's right. And they're trying really hard. And sometimes we don't always get it right. But that's where it bums me out is when I see a lack of humanity and understanding of the people who are making your food, the people who are you know, it's my entire life. I care so much about it. And, you know, I wish that people would see that a little bit more. I agree. You're listening to Eat It, Virginia with Roby and Scott and Brittany Anderson of Metzger, Chairlift, and Brenner Pass. Learning new things about Brittany Anderson. Love, love that interview. Love the energy she brought to the room. So, so much. She's such a cool She's such a cool egg. We were talking about her restaurant, Brenner Pass. Last year, it was it was it won Restaurant of the Year at the LB Awards, which is Richmond Magazine's restaurant the Grammy Awards for Richmond restaurants. Yeah, it's like all of the Oscars of Richmond restaurants. Sure, Oscars, Grammys, it's all the same. Big awards Tonys. for Richmond Tonys. Yep. This this week we came out with the 2020 Noms. nominations. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, people who were nominated? Well, I mean, I I don't. Did, did you help nominate this year? Uh, I received an email to help, but I loser. I feel like I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. I still, f- I still feel inf- like I'm not qualified to do stuff like that. You know what? Everybody's heart just grew three sizes for you, Scott. Oh, that's so great. Well, you know what, Mister Not Qualified? How did you feel about the nominations? Well, I've been to all these restaurants. L- looking at the nominations, what restaurant of the year? Alewife, Lasia, Long Oven, and La Possum. I still haven't been to Long Oven. Actually, I'm still, I'm still waiting for that one. But I've been to the other three, and I, I mean, La Possum, Lasia, and Alewife are three of my favorite restaurants, so I would agree with all those nominations. Good stuff. New restaurant of the year, Adara, Charlotte, Southern Deli, and Tapas, Gersey, and Crissette. I've been to all four of those. I'm loving this. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely... Like that's, those? That's a great yeah. list, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, I think my, you know, where I feel insufficient is the individuals, like the people behind the scenes. That's why we do that. Really the, this whole podcast is so you, we, can, we and everybody else can learn about the people from behind the scenes. So I think you should take the next list you're about to read out, mm-hmm. and they should be our next guests on the podcast. What do you think? I Sure. I love, I've love. i met Bobo. I do love Bobo. Bobo uh, from Alewife right. was nominated as Rising Chef of the Year. Right. I do, I do know him. The other folks I don't know. Mike from Brenner Pass, Jake from Heritage, Brandon from Shagbark, and Lane from Nota Bene. I know every single one of those individuals, and all of them are 
crazy good. So that's what I think. I, yeah, there it is. There's our next thing. So hi, guys. If you're listening, we'd like to have you on the podcast. Also, hi, listeners. What did you think of this year's LB's List? Where can they tell us what they think? We can be reached at a variety of locations, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and email. Eat at Virginia on all of those. Eat at Virginia at gmail.com is our email address. Hopefully the next time we're on this podcast, things are better. Let's hope so. Yep. Be kind to each other out there. Don't hold hands. <laughs>